Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Matt, off today, gallivanting around. Do we know where Matt is today, by the way? Does anybody know? Are we like, this is mum's word, this is top secret? Maybe we I, I, th- I think it's a business trip, yeah, but he's sure. pretending it's a vacation. Matt not here. My name's Darren Adams, filling in. I actually was here just like a week or two ago as a guest, and now I get to turn the table. Sitting you've on the you've other side. already been promoted. I, this is quick. This is easy. I like this. You were this. really, really good. I'm so. climbing the ladder in no time at all. By the way, here with Bryce, here with Rob. Skylar walked in. Skylar walked in a couple seconds ago, and to just so you know, I haven't had any sleep in 35 hours. Like, excuse me, this is the wrong. <laughs> this is the wrong thing to be doing is to be running the controls of a radio station with no sleep for 35 hours. Well, I he's guess. good. If anybody could do it, it could be him. It would Sky be. Boy is kind of magical. I does, I would have so. supported him. <laughs> Yeah, I just took pity on the poor guy. 35 hours straight. I'm bad enough when I get about uh, 12 hours without sleep. <laughs> so, so like about 4 or 5 o'clock every day? That's how I feel. No, no, he came in and he, was, he looked kind of ragged. He was talking kind of ragged and he looked confused. So... You know how it says on the pill bottles, do not operate machinery, do not yes. drive, just, yeah, radio equipment. So we cut him loose, told him to go home, and but like you mentioned, don't operate equipment or drive. And so what did he have to do? He has to drive home. So in this in this sleepy, sleep deprived stupor, he is now behind a wheel driving somewhere. So to the fender bender, it's about to happen. <laughs> I take responsibility. It's all your fault. Uh, today we're talking about about listening. By the way, no one listens anymore. It is a dying art. People don't listen anymore. There are lots of things that people don't don't do anymore. I was trying to think. Nobody goes. To the video store anymore. People don't do it. People just don't go to the oh, video store anymore. There is no video store anymore. There is one down the street from me. It's yeah. strange. I, I nobody's ever there. No cars are there. But it's like some old guy behind the counter. I I see him there. But I had no. a roommate just last semester, and I walked in our room to try to find if she had a pair of scissors, and I saw a Walkman sitting oh, on her Walkman. sitting on her desk, and I was like, Cassette? I didn't even know those still existed. Now I think it was like for CDs, but it was still like, what the heck? <laughs> I mean, what century are you living? I don't know. It's just I actually was on the bus the other day, and there was a guy next to me, and he had one of those, like the CD, the CD Walkman. I'm thinking, what is this? And I looked, and he was like the 89 years old. Walkman. Yeah. I was using those in the late 90s because I realized the the discman took four batteries, and every time you'd like try to jog with it, it'd be skipping. Like crazy versus the cassette one, you could shake that thing all over the place and it was fine. It's, we went from the cassette where you could you could shake it all the time. You go to the CD, skips all the time. Now we're back to the to the you know little device thing, the iPods or anything like it. You can shake that thing all day long and you got nothing. And then when the batteries went out on the uh, discman, it just wouldn't work. When the batteries started to die on the oh Walkman, the Walkman, the cassette thing, Gen- you know uh, Phil Collins at Genesis sounded just like Barry White after. <laughs> It's like that drum solo on that. That was beautiful. I think I'm the youngest person here, so I think there's a lot of things that I see, and I'm like, wow, I didn't know those still existed. It's okay. I didn't know that cassette players slowed down when they ran out of batteries. It makes sense. You could, uh, some of them, the, the hardcore, my dad used to be into big 
and audio equipment, the kind where you could actually like pop the front open and still have the cassette running. Oh, I thought that was so cool. And then you could stick your finger in there while it was playing. And so the, the song would be going along, you know, and just... You you were a strange child who was amused easily, I have a feeling. <laughs> I feel like as a music major, I should know a lot of this stuff. But I know what a phonograph is. A phonograph is the first way they recorded sound. They looked really weird and sounded awful. I'm guessing that was before cool. the eight tracks, right? Oh, oh that, this oh, is a... A wax well, cylinder Tom, thing Thomas something? Edison did not... Um, a lot of people, you know, give him the credit, but it was actually this French guy who made this, the, f- uh, the first recording ever it just sounds like a weird screeching or a banshee or something, but it, it existed. So. Can't imagine why it wasn't a smash hit. The screeching, yeah. the screeching banshee. That was, uh, I think that's actually a musical <laughs> group, isn't that? Sort of in, I saw like a CD by the end of the other day. People don't, people don't gather around the TV at a certain time. Do you guys remember the, like like your program comes on at seven o'clock and you gather around the Rescue TV to watch nine one one? Or I remember the Brady Bunch or whatever. Uh, we've just lost the schedule. We have DVR, so we can watch yes. it whenever we want. Primarily, I think most of of my peers we're all watching everything on Netflix or yeah. on our computer, which we can watch anywhere. Number one, we can watch it anywhere, and we can watch it anytime. And also, we also don't like have to, you know, there was that program you'd watch that I don't really care for, but it's what everyone else is watching and I yeah. don't really have anything to do. That's not really what it is for us. It's, oh, you're watching something I don't want to watch? I'm going to do something else or I'm going to go watch something else. We don't have to like, we have so much TV on so many devices. We don't have to gather. There's no reason to gather. It's dying. It is dying. Hannah, were you grabbing them? You were. I, I didn't know if you were going to say something or not. Uh, no, no moment, you're just grabbing. The moment them. died. You just know, continue. There are things. <laughs> there are things that we don't do anymore that are simply dying away, and one of those, as we'll discuss later today, is is listening. People don't listen anymore. We have lost the art. Wait, is anybody even paying attention to me anymore? No, <laughs> I, I'm thinking of what I'm going to say next. Okay. Well, I mean, but that, that actually is part of it. It's just like, I, I hear you talking. I've done this so many times. And all of a sudden, I shut my mind off and I stop listening to anything you're saying because I'm thinking, what am I going to say next? What, what, when, when he stops talking, I've got to talk. What am I going to say? when he... But don't you find that? No, you're always calculating your response. I mean, it happens all the time in like, if you're in an argument or if you're, you're talking to your significant other or something, you know, they, they mention something. So you're like, okay, well, how, how do I respond to this? How do I make them, uh, feel comfortable? And, um, you're thinking so much about what you have to say that you're not really listening to what they're saying. How can you have a good argument? How can you win an argument if you're not listening? But that we find ourselves doing that. We just get ready well, for the next argument. Well, because every second they give you like an argument, you're immediately on the defensive. So you're going racking your mind for just responses. And it's debate 101. When you get enough people gathered together, Tuesday night, my brother invited me to hang out with his friends, turned to politics. And I realized if I was polite and sat there and digested an opinion, the topic would keep moving. And as soon as there was a little gap, somebody jumped in to take it. And so that devolved into 1.3 or 4 of us all talking at the same time with a table of only about five people there. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, it's, that's part of the problem with communication now. I'm part of the problem with, uh, with listening. There are so many communication traps and, and, and pitfalls and ways we can get into it. I'm guessing that also when it comes to relationship, when we're when we're trying to communicate, you know, we're, maybe you're dating, maybe you're courting, maybe you're married or something like that. There are all sorts of opportunities 
for for I remember one time I was on this blind date, never met the girl before, and and she was joking, and I said, um, or she says like she said, tell me, tell me about your parents. I thought it would be so funny. I said, well, both my parents are dead. Uh, yeah, and so oh. and she, I really said yes. It was a, I'm, I'm joking. I'm playing along, and uh, and. And they finally said, oh, no, I'm kidding. And I, just, I made up some story about the traffic accident. You know, just trying to break the ice, warm things up. And that so, is a uh, bad way I know. to break the ice. I know. You tell As me a now. woman, like, I'm pretty sure I'd be running out the door. Yeah. So then a little bit later in the conversation, I turned to her and I said, now tell me about your parents. And literally, both of her parents had died earlier. I like, like, that's pretty good. That's... <laughs> I mean, if you're going to ruin a date, <gasps> that that's how it. you ruin yeah. a date. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got her feeling like, oh, my gosh, this guy has been through the same thing I've been through. Yeah. Like, he totally understands. Like, so, like, that's such a personal, like, intimate, like, horrible experience. It's like, oh, he gets it. And no, I'm just messing with your mind. Yeah. And she said, no, my parents are dead. And I knew immediately, oh, my heavens, I have just committed the biggest faux pas in the world. She is she is totally serious. And I've just gone on for like a half hour making up this story about, what are the chances? What are the chances I really would be dating somebody whose parents had both died? I mean, that's not a big chance, is it? You guys are just staring at me blankly. You, you know, I was just, I, uh. No, no, fair enough. Fair enough. Statistically, <laughs> you did not make a bad call. All right. A hundred other dates, you could do that and you'd be totally fine. I chose the wrong one. Yeah, I would say just as a general practice from the female voice is to tell the truth, um, to be yourself. It's hard enough when people are playing the dating game. and No, no, know, I'm going to argue. People don't want you to be yourself. I mean, you imagine, like, if Bryce really were himself on a date, I mean, where where is that hey, date no, going, I, you know? I really, I really honestly, maybe it's just because I'm crazy, but well, that's I mean, I've been dating point, my boyfriend but... for, like, a year. Our first date, we... We're total weirdos, totally acted like ourselves, and I've been myself 100% the entire time. And I I really feel like that's a good thing to practice. Unless, you know, you're, I don't know, you just don't like people being themselves. It's Maybe that's weird. I don't know. <laughs> well, your weirdness can be lost in translation. Egg. To where I'm being weird, but she interprets it wrong. That's true. That's true. Or but, she just does Well, just it. different communication styles. I mean, if you're super sarcastic and they're not, they may think you're being really serious and, yeah. And speaking of Lost in Translation, there was a great sketch on, on Studio C, on BYU TV. I, I love, I love BYU TV. I love Studio C. In fact, in fact, when Matt, in fact, Rob, when you called me and asked me if I could fill in for Matt, so I hung up the phone. I said, oh, I'm filling in for Matt next week down at BYU. And my wife's like, Matt Meese on Studio C? You're filling in for Matt Meese? Are you serious? Oh, that's so exciting. We're going to come watch you. I'm like, no, no, honey, Matt Townsend. Remember our friend Matt Townsend? Yeah. So she was a little bit, a little bit dashed there. <laughs> anyway, this is a funny sketch that happened a while ago on a guy who was who was trying to communicate, and then, you know, sometimes relationships, and you run into problems with it, especially when you don't speak the, the same language already. And this is a, a language they actually literally had that used Google Translator, tried to communicate a little bit. A classic example of how people don't communicate anymore, especially when they speak completely different languages. Hold on, waiting on the computer here. After that build-up, how could I get any more of a dramatic build-up than that? <laughs> I know, that? it's a perfect segue. And I... I'm thinking, wait, is there uh, is there some problem with this? The lawyers have stepped in and forbidden us from uh, from running any Studio C things. This this clip is blocking hey, the country. There we go. <laughs> I have a girlfriend. Computer woke up. Where did you two meet? She's from this small town in Estonia, so whatever I write, I have to put in the Google Translator. But I love you so much, my darling. You're beautiful like the sea, and... 
amazing as the stars. I'm so glad I found you. I have so many love for you, darling. You are amazing and pretty as fireballs. I am happy I looked you. <laughs> I love you, Jason. So many, so many. I would want you to marry. I'm ecstatic at your offer, but I think we should meet face to face before we make any plans. What's your address? I will book a flight and come find you as soon as I can. My love, I am happy at you. But I thought our face and face should meet before we make plans. What your address? I will bible a flight and come look at you as soon as I can. Oh! I live in only cottage on Hog Hill Mountain in Piscay, Estonia. It's two-day climb and our hills are infested with werewolf monkeys. I can't believe I'm doing this. You're going to do this? What about the werewolf monkeys? I'm so happy. I hope to impress your family when I come to your house so that I can marry you, Helga Gatha. I am so happy. I hope to come to your home and murder your family so that I can marry you, Helga Gatha. <laughs> Please, don't hurt me. She's afraid of getting hurt. That's so sweet and tender. I'm scared too, but I promise I won't hurt you. I stick to my guns. Fear also. It will not hurt. I stick with guns. She hasn't responded back yet. Maybe she had to do some farm work. I'll just sign off really quick. My heart bleeds, bleeds, bleeds without you. Blood, blood, blood. Your organs. <laughs> there is a classic example of what could happen. Communication gone awry when we have a hard time listening. And also when, when Google Translator doesn't work quite the way we want it to. Rob, was, was there a story on people who actually sometimes are too good? Some people claim that they are too good of a listener. Because we're part of our, part of our whole point today is that we are not listening anymore. That we have a hard time listening. We have lost the art and the skill of listening. But there is one person who thinks that they are actually too good of a listener. Oh, more than just one person. Because Merritt, uh, was just saying if she wasn't gone to class, that's her. Because she's the polite kind of introvert and listens well. And so it's like a, an open invitation, like, hey, come up and tell me about my problem, you know. But uh, lady writing in psychology today was saying the same thing, too. She says, you know, uh, there's just something about her personality that it's like she's wearing a T-shirt that says, tell me about your day. And because she's polite, she, okay, I'll listen. But she's getting very tired of it. You know, other people need to pick it up, too. You can't have just one person who's polite, because then they'll listen to everybody, and, and everybody else is yakking at them. Well, the, whole the problem time. with that too, I mean, I think that you know, any psychologist or therapist will tell you that you have to actively make sure you're not becoming a human garbage can, because that's what your job is every single day to walk in and be told this is what my problems are, and somehow you're supposed to help them without internalizing their problems. And so I think that if you you're at that point where it's really it's really hard because everyone's talking and you're just trying to be nice. Um, that that could be definitely overwhelming. Do you have a guess on if you come if you come and someone's starting to talk to you, what is your time frame until you actually till you shut them off, till you stop listening to them anymore? So that you come home and they start 
You say, hey, how was your day? And they start talking about what point into the conversation do you shut it off and you're not listening anymore? If they don't say something terribly interesting in about 20 seconds, I'm either, I'm definitely done listening, but I'm either thinking of something interesting for me to say to maybe turn this conversation into a good direction, or I'm finding an escape route. Yeah, do, do what this lady did. She says, I've acquired a new skill. I used to listen and listen hard and really try to understand what they were saying, no matter who was talking to me. But now I understand the toll that that's taking on me and my desire to leave the house. So I now allow myself to check out. Letting talkers talk without my expending much energy to really listen. That's okay. But wait, I, I doubt they really even notice. She's not listening. So, so, in, and she's claiming she's being polite, but isn't she actually being the opposite? Isn't she being horribly rude by actually? Well, she's been worn down to the point where she's no longer listening anymore. Yeah, which I think is happening to so. I don't know. Do we do it? Have we been worn down, or do we do it voluntarily? Do people do it to us? Do they teach us? Do they program us not to listen, or do we just say, "I'm so not interested in this stuff. I'm not going to listen anymore." Maybe we're all worn down. That's why we just don't care. We're a bunch of dull pencils out there in the can on your desk, and we want to sharpen those uh, sharpen those pencils a little bit today. So everybody get ready. We're all going to be better listeners by the end of the couple hours. We're going to be able to learn to listen like we've never listened before. It's, it's not going to be something to go on by the wayside like the Sony Walkman with the tapes that go around. It's not going to be something going by the wayside like the TV. You are going to be a better listener in just a few more minutes as we continue right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Matt off today. I'm Darren Adams filling in here on BYU Radio. We've been talking today about listening and how we are losing the art of listening. We don't pay attention anymore. We just sort of zone things out and don't listen and process the information quite the same way we used to. Bryce has some thoughts about warnings that he would just love to share with us. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is the Bryce is Right. Let me tell you a story about a girl named Cassandra. She's a princess, the daughter of Priam, king of Troy. She's a looker, too, always driving the boys around Troy crazy. Well, she's so good-looking, she catches Apollo's eye. I mean, Apollo's a god? He's a rather well-off dude. Lots of crazy powers, immortal, and eternally in shape. He's also got a thing for Cassandra. And as most suitors are wont to do, he decides to give her a gift. But as you can imagine, she's a princess. She's got money and power. By extension, things aren't really out of her reach either. Apollo wasn't worried about all the scrubs around Troy giving her flowers and chariots and stuff. Apollo has the trump card. He gives Cassandra the ability to see the future. Normally I'd say, Alright, pack it up boys, let's give up on this whole impressing women thing. Apollo ruined it for the rest of us. But wait, this is Greek mythology. There's always a catch. Well, Cassandra wasn't that interested in Apollo. And he, being the son of that real piece of work, Zeus, he couldn't just leave her well enough alone and then go on with his life. No, he added a curse to his gift. You see, Cassandra had the amazing ability to see what was going to happen before it happened. She could have easily prevented a disaster, like a pointless war that would result in the death of thousands and the destruction of her city. Hmm... But Apollo's curse made it so that nobody believed her ramblings, and she slowly but surely went insane. Now, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I can identify with Cassandra. Maybe it's because I overanalyze things, but I feel like I'm the guy that always has to say things like, I don't think this is a good idea. 
And then I catch flack for being a Debbie Downer. Like the time my friends went cliff diving. Here's what I know. Water gets dangerous when you're jumping from about 40 feet. It gets deadly around 60 feet. So when they found a spot to jump that was somewhere around 80 feet, I refused to participate saying, I don't think this is a good idea because I envisioned a future that included a trip to the emergency room. Well, the bad news is that I was right. The good news is that it was nothing more than some impact damage from his feet to about his waist, and he just walked funny for a few days. But nobody believed me when it mattered. This also reminds me of the time my friend wanted to jump on a donkey and ride it around. I said, I don't think this is a good idea. He said, it's tied up. It isn't going to go anywhere. I told him I wasn't worried about it getting away. Here's what I know. Donkeys are tough animals. They're designed to survive. And they have a sense for when and where to kick, even if they aren't looking directly at the target. Well, long story short, the next day, you could clearly trace the outline of a donkey hoof on his stomach. He was fine, deeply bruised, but fine. Or there was the time this one guy wanted to know what a dog shock collar felt like. This time I decided to not be subtle. I told him, you're going to yell and trigger the shock. And when it hits you, you're going to yell in pain, which will trigger it again. And you'll be stuck in this feedback loop until you die. Once again, as before, I was ignored. Uh, by the time the second shock hit him, I really had a hard time deciding whether I should tear the thing off his neck or just keep watching in order to make a point. Don't worry, though. Someone else snagged it instead. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. Bryce here in studio with uh, with with some stories of people who have not been listening. It, first of all, it sounds like you are like the Debbie Downer, but then I realized this was good information that people just had not listened to. A Debbie Downer may be, but <laughs> when you're right and when it could save trips to the hospital or you know any other kind of further injury, you, maybe we need more Debbie Downers in this world. There is a place for all the Debbie Downers. But Debbie Downers, it isn't until after the fact that we realize how smart you Debbie Downer people are. <laughs> it's, you know? it's a, after the fact, it becomes it's either you were a Debbie Downer or you called it and you were right and they throw a parade for you and they're so grateful for all the nice things you do. There's got to be some name for the other side of the Debbie when when the people are the good, they're like the parade person or something. I don't know what that what that is. The uh, Walter Warner. I know, may, you know, maybe because you gave the warnings out, the people should have listened to Warner. I don't I like that. I like that. <laughs> Yeah. And and the one's a guy, the other's a girl. I don't know if you want to be identifying yourself with a girl. Or Wilma the Warner. Okay, so Debbie Downer turns into Wilma the Warner. Wilma Warner, not the Warner, but Wilma Warner. Wilma Warner. But you're the guy, so we'll call you Walter Warner here. Okay, I accept. I'm so, picturing a Flintstone myself. <laughs> what is it? What's that little sound effect? Wilma! <laughs> right. So when you're telling these people this stuff and you warn them over and over again... Do they do they do they hear it? Do they process it, or do they just say you're a fuddy duddy stuck in the mud? I choose to ignore you. I think I think the problem with their listening is that it, the sound is hitting their ears, okay, and their ears are processing it and it's sending it into their brain. But they've already made the decision, and so they're not listening. They're not taking in new information, and they're not doing anything with it. The information's hitting them, but it's not. It's not getting into them. And so they've already made the decision that I'm going to do this unwise thing. And then it doesn't matter what you say. Okay, I'm a, I'm a parent. I want to know, because you're now you're now the, I'm putting you on a pedestal here, okay? Yes. So how, when I'm talking to my kids and saying, don't jump on the couch anymore, don't run outside in your underwear and the sprinklers on, when I'm trying to be the Walter Warner there, not the Debbie Downer, how do I get the information into their head so that I actually process it and listen? Or maybe I'm talking to the wrong person because your people never really listen to you. Well, yeah, well, there's that. <laughs> the reality is, I don't know how to do it because I haven't had it work yet. But I mean, there's, there's the worst way you could do it is probably 
uh, let awful consequences happen to them. That'll do it. But clearly, if we're warning, we don't want that. We don't want, you know, the awful consequences to happen. I'm, I'm like, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not uh, a, a downer on the consequences happening. I'm like a supporter of learn it the hard way. My wife, like, make sure you wear a coat when you go outside. It's cold. You're not going to wear a coat. You got to wear a coat. And the kids don't wear a coat. I'm like, let them go outside. If they need, if they get cold, they'll come in and put a coat on, won't they? Would it be wrong to enhance your own point? Like, for example, you tell the kids, put a coat on, you'll get cold because it's, you know, it's 20 degrees outside. Would it be wrong if they're at the park that's, you know, half a mile from your house to dump a bucket of water on them and then be like, guys, if you had a jacket, this wouldn't be an issue. I sort of like that idea. I mean, it's probably it's probably bad, but it might be con- const- consist- con- consisting of abuse in a little bit of a way. But but we can all blame it on Bryce, or as we call him, Walter Warner, around here. You've been promoted from Debbie Downer to Walter Warner. It's a noble cause. As we continue to explore the art of listening and how we have lost the art of listening, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show, Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Matt off partying, running around somewhere today, so I'm filling in for him. Darren Adams here is a guest host on the Matt Townsend Show, and I'm really excited about our next guest. We are excited to have Julian Treasure with us. Now, probably not a household name for a lot of people, but I want to mention he's the author of the book Sound Business, and you might be familiar with TED Talks, and Julian has four different... uh, not for several TED talks, but four of them have been viewed an estimated four million times. Julian, that is a phenomenal statistic right there. Four million times. Don't you feel a lot of pressure all those people listening to everything you're saying there? If you start to think of that as football stadiums, it's really daunting to think that actually, I, I tell you, that I had a number recently from TED. It's seven million times now. And uh, if you think of all those people spending you know, 10 minutes actually with you one-to-one, which is effectively what's happening. It's, it is really overwhelming to think of that number of people, yeah. And as much as I'm in love with your name, I just have to tell you, I'm in love with your wife's name even more. I mean, Julian Treasure sounds beautiful, like jewels and treasure, but your wife's name, she's actually an Italian children's book author, and her name, Swan, Swan. Treasure. Isn't that like the most... Yeah. It's like, I like you people make up names like that. You, you can't even... You can't make up a name that great, but... Anyway, it's a cool name. True, it's true. Yeah, no, it's it's a real name. It comes from the West Country in in the UK. Originally, Trisaya, I think. Okay. Before we get into too much information about how people's names come about and where they're from, I want to let people know that you are you have one of the most interesting jobs in the entire world. You are. You study sound, and you're actually an audio brander. You go to companies, you help them identify what their brand sounds like, and you have really broken down how people listen and how well we listen. Can I first of all ask you, how well, on a scale of like 1 to 10, how well do you think the average person listens? Are we, are we good? Are we an absolute 10? Or are we really bad as a 1? I would say we're probably somewhere around 4 or 3 and declining, sadly. What, what's the deal? Why are we declining? First of all, I should ask, why are we so bad? And then why do you think we're declining? Well, because the, the, the answer to the first question is that, uh, I mean, there's a great quote from, from Hemingway uh, who, who said, I like to listen. Uh, I, I learn a great deal from listening. Most people never listen. 
And he's absolutely right. Now, that was then. Uh, I don't think things have changed particularly. So start from a young age. We don't teach children how to listen effectively. Listening is a skill. It's very different from hearing. And it takes practice. And there are lots of different ways to listen as well. But in the modern world, we have many challenges to our listening. I mean, I could, I could name a whole bunch of them. But just to give you some of the main ones, um, we, we've invented ways of recording things. Now, once upon a time, if you wanted to learn something, you sat at the feet of somebody who told you. And if you missed it, you missed it. And then we invented writing. And then we invented sound recording, then video. Now we have YouTube. And most of the time in the world, if you miss it now, you can catch it on YouTube or you catch it somewhere else or you read the book or, you know, whatever it is. So the premium on careful listening has, has disappeared to a great degree. So we don't, even have to, we, don't, we don't even have to be good listeners anymore. If we're listening to something, I think most people, when we ingest information, because maybe someone's talking to us, but a lot of times we're getting it on, on YouTube, we're getting on an Internet site, we're, we're watching TV. We can always rewind. We can play it again. So we've actually lost our need to even listen, right? Definitely, that's part of it. Uh, another part of it, I think we've become impatient. So you think about politics, for example. Once upon a time, there was a thing called oratory, and people would give great speeches, the Gettysburg Address, that kind of thing. These days, we want it in 30 seconds or less. Just give me the soundbite, just give me the top line, that's it, I'm going to move on. And so we lose a lot of the, the, the subtlety there in our listening. We're not interested in listening for long periods uh, to people so much anymore. Well, i, I, I got to jump in and ask you, is there a benefit? Because I'm sort of a short attention span kind of guy. I mean, I can't listen for too long. I'm probably part of the problem with the culture. Is there a problem with asking people to boil something down to a soundbite? Why do I have to listen to someone give a speech for 40 minutes when, when they could just give it to me in 30 seconds? Uh, well, it, it all depends on the complexity of what they're trying to put across. Uh, I think there are some very seriously bad things that have happened in the world as a result of people boiling complex issues down into much simpler uh, sound bites, which don't carry any of the complexity and which result in some pretty strange decisions being made. Of course, if somebody's rambling on and saying the same thing over and over again or uh, you know, just losing themselves in verbosity. Uh, yeah, you don't want to listen to that. Um, but there is a great joy in hearing a great orator. You know, if you if you listen to, you know, a Martin Luther King, uh, that is an art, you know, and you can appreciate the actual art of the speaking, which is pretty much a dying art. I don't think you get too many great orators these days. And then we've got technology, of course, which is a really big threat to our listening. Uh, there's a great book by a, an MIT professor called Sherry Turkle. The book is called Alone Together. And I saw her give a TED Talk not so long ago. And the classic image of this she's got is a picture of her teenage daughter sitting on the edge of a sofa next to her friend, uh, right next to each other. And they're both looking at their hand, their, their portables uh, or their mobiles, and they're texting to somebody else who's not there. So there's a kind of feeling of separation. Even if we're with somebody, there's a feeling that we're, we're moving to a large number of very shallow relationships instead of a small number of deep ones. And with the technology comes this phenomenon of personal broadcasting. I mean, I use Twitter and Facebook and things like that. I have to in my business. But, of course, for many people, when you're tweeting something like, I'm on the bus, I mean, who cares, first of all? And secondly, that's 
personal broadcasting, there's not a lot of listening going on in that one-way communication where we all start to become radio stations, if you like. So our listening is under threat from technology all the time, and particularly with kids. One input is not enough anymore. They can't just sit and watch TV. They have to also to have this, uh, you know, their, their, their hand held with them. They have a, a, a tablet of some kind. They may even have a laptop on as, at the same time. Four inputs is not uncommon. And in that situation, again, attention is broadly spread but shallow. i, I got to jump so in and ask, ask you a question. What percentage, if you had to guess, what percentage of the information that we get currently do we get through listening? Any guess? A pretty small amount. I mean, there has been a lot of uh, research done on the amount of information we take in through the various senses, and there is no doubt that as long as we've been human beings, the vast majority of the information we take in comes through the eyes. No doubt. On the other hand, hearing is your primary warning sense, Darren. I mean, if I want to warn you about something, I don't wave. I shout. Uh, you, you have a, a hearing sense that is a sphere so you hear 360 degrees all around you, up and down, back and front, side to side. If a twig snaps behind you in a forest, you will spin round. So it's the, the way that you warn, it's the way you, you warn yourself of possible predators. Uh, it's it's a, an immensely sensitive sense. We see just one octave. We hear 10 if we have perfect hearing. It's a, an incredibly fine-tuned sense. Think about it. You have no earlids. You can close your eyes anytime, but your ears are working even while you sleep. If there's a strange noise in your house at night, you will wake up because your ears work all the time. And yet, another and the biggest reason why we're losing our listening, I think, is just the noise around us the whole time. The, the world is increasingly noisy. Electromechanical noise, traffic noise is a big one, airplane noise, industrial noise, construction noise. These noises are around us all the time. We now, many of us, work in open-plan offices, which are noisy places. The response is that we get used to just suppressing noise, suppressing sound. We become less and less conscious of it. So, you know, you and I will quite happily stand on a street corner bellowing at each other and pretending that that noise doesn't exist. Well, if you could see it or smell it, you wouldn't put up with that. But because it's noise... We get into this habit of just being unconscious about it. Well, you know, sometimes we, we have a computer at home, and there's some kind of little CD player that's near it, and, and oftentimes it emits some kind of weird sound. I, I don't know why. And I can be sitting there at the computer, and and the little weird sound has been going on for quite some time, but I just completely shut it off, and my wife will come home, and she'll say, like, what, what in the world is that sound that's driving me nuts? Where I have, exactly as you said... I've just tuned it out and don't hear it anymore. And then she's coming into the atmosphere and the environment fresh, and, and all of a sudden it's, it's obvious to her. Do you, think, do you think people have forgotten, literally forgotten, how to listen to some of these things? Yes, to or, or listen to me messages in general. Have we forgotten the art of listening? Yeah, I think we, we have uh, lost contact with it. A lot of people have lost contact with the art of listening, and there's such joy in it. You know, uh, when I do my trainings with people and, and they go out with their listening kind of fully back on again, it's, it's kind of like, for anybody who can remember black and white TV, it's like turning up the color on a TV set. You suddenly have a new dimension to life. You know, I, I define li listening, I mean, you can define it lots of different ways, but I define it as making meaning from sound. 
So this is a mental process. It's not physical. Sound enters your ears. It vibrates your eardrums. It's turned into chemical and then electrical activity in your brain. And you extract from all of that sound that you hear, you extract stuff that you pay attention to. That's what you make meaning from. So there's actually really so, quite a big step between just hearing and between listening. Everybody's hearing anything, everything nonstop. But when we actually extract the important stuff, is that what listening really is? That's exactly what listening is. And we do it. Uh, interesting you mentioned the little noise at your home. We do it with two powerful techniques uh, in particular. One is pattern recognition where you would recognize if, if you're in a busy party, for example, and then somebody behind you says, Darren, you turn around, you'd immediately recognize that pattern because you've heard it ever since you were a baby. Uh, so we all recognize our name. Language, of course, is full of patterns that we recognize. That's how we communicate. So pattern recognition, including threatening patterns like a car's screeching tires, you would jump back off a road if you heard that. Some of them we react to instinctively. Others of them uh, mean a great deal to us. That's one way we, we make meaning from sound. And the other one is differencing. So if there's a constant sound, like you're in an office with air conditioning all day, it's constant, constant, you don't hear it. But everybody knows the feeling. If it goes off at 6 p.m., suddenly everybody goes, oh, that's better. And their shoulders sink about three inches because suddenly that noise is gone. They weren't conscious of it, but it was having an effect on everybody. So we, we become absolutely unconscious of very constant sounds. We, we listen for difference, and it's another survival instinct, really. If you're creeping around in the undergrowth and there are big animals around, you want to hear difference. You want to hear a crack of something or a rustle of something because it could be danger. I've got to ask you, because we're going to take a break here in a second, what, what do you call yourself? Like a hydrologist is someone who studies water, a geologist studies the earth, whatever. What is your exact title? Are you like a soundologist, or what would, they, what would people call you? I don't think there's a name quite for what I I mean, in my professional life, I'm an audio brander, uh, so that's what we do. We do audio branding. But uh, with this stuff, I, I just say I'm a sound consultant or a sound expert. Oh, Julian, Julian, like Julian, we've got to come up with a better title than that. We've got to come something up with something. An endologist, yeah. Yeah, like a, 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 not an audiologist. That's like a doctor or something. We're going yeah, to figure something, something out. We're going we're gonna to take a quick break here. During the break, we're going to see if we can come up with a better title for you than just sound brander or whatever that other stuff you were, you were talking wait. about. And and when we come back, because people at home right now are thinking, I'm an okay listener, or, or I don't need to listen. Who cares about listening? Julian's got some practices for us. He's going give to us, give us some exercises. He's going to put us through the rigors here so that we all become better listeners, and he'll explain why we need to become better listeners. That's when we're back with Julian Treasure with some kind of new title we've got for him on the Matt Townsend Show. Darren Adams filling in for Matt. We'll be back with more right here on BYU Radio. Townsend Show, Darren Adams, filling in for Matt, who's traveling, off playing, running around. We thank you for joining in with us this afternoon, and today we are talking about how we are losing the art of listening. Everybody hears. You hear things all day long. You're surrounded by sound, and that's probably part of the problem. We have so many sounds around us, it's difficult for it to listen. And according to Julian Treasure, listening is when you take that sound that comes into your ear, and you extract 
the important things out of it. Julian Treasure is the author of the book Sound Business. We've been trying to come up with a good title for him. I, I knew like the word oral, A-U-R-L, whatever. So I wasn't really an orologist, but, but Julian, that sounds like you're an orologist, like you're doing something with your mouth, and you have nothing to do with your mouth. So we can't call you an orologist, can we? Um, confusing. Yeah, that's, that would be bad. Can we, we'll just call you a soundologist for this next few minutes, okay? Works for me, Darren. I'm okay. Soundologist. Soundologist, which is a completely new term we're just making up here. Julian Treasure joins us to tell us how we can be better listeners. Most people out there probably think you're okay listeners, but according to Julian, you are not as good a listener as you think you are. You are probably, on a scale of 1 to 10, a 3 or a 4, and you are falling. The scale is dropping down, and you're losing your ability to, to listen. So Julian's got some practice. He's going he's gonna to put us through some exercises to teach us. Who would have ever guessed, Julian, that you someone has to teach us to listen? But you got some exercises for us, right? Uh, well, I have, yes. And, you know, I, I don't think it's strange we have to be taught to listen. There are two fundamental things that we do to communicate there, and one is speak, and the other is listen. And neither of those two things do we teach children how to do. So we expect them just to pick up. The, the complexities of the amazing instrument we all play, the human voice, which is it's an extraordinary thing. Plus, we expect them to learn how to listen when probably the parents aren't listening to them that well or that effectively. Um, it doesn't happen just by watching people do it. Uh, you know, we, we spend probably, uh, the research shows, up to 60% of our time listening, depending on what we do for a living. And yet we retain just one word in four that we hear. So it is true to say that we're not brilliant at it. And yes, I have five little exercises that I'd like to share, uh, which anybody can take on and which are designed to create conscious listening. Okay, I've been limbering up. I've been stretching out my ears. I am ready for this. You've been doing ear push-ups. Yes, yes. It's very difficult, but I've strengthened the cartilage in my ear by about 20% in just in the last hour. Fantastic. Well, the first one is dead simple, uh, and it is just silence. Now, I won't leave a lot of silence on the radio because one thing that terrifies radio folk is what they call dead air. That's silence uh, because people think the radio's gone wrong and they switch over. So I won't do it now, but my recommendation to anybody listening to this is to seek out three minutes, maybe five if you can get it, just three to five minutes of silence every day at some point, because silence is a wonderful antidote to the noise of the world. A few minutes of silence resets your ears. It recalibrates them. It's like a sorbet in the middle of a meal. It kind of freshens up your auditory palate. Sorbet. Now now you're talking my language, Julian. Why weren't you talking ice cream a little bit earlier in the show? That would have had my attention there. (laughs) Yes. Well, I'm a hearing guy, not a tasting guy, but I can tell where you're coming from here, Darren. So I know. We need to have metaphors. sorbet here in the, in the studio. I, can I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gamble. I'm going to try something different here, okay? Because you said you would never leave silence on the radio because people hate dead air. But can we try dead air for just like 15 seconds? Go for it. Okay, because I think... I think exactly what you're saying, and, and people need to, because no matter where you are, you're not going to be listening to the radio anymore. You'll have the radio on. Don't worry. We'll tell people we're, we're going to be off. We're going to be just silent for 15 seconds or less if I get nervous. But listen to whatever sounds there are around. Because I'm, I'm gathering that as we will sort of pick up on the silence, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is all a, it, it's all a conversation about consciousness, really, about being present in, in where you are. 
but uh, silence is, is a real sound. It's not the absence of sound. It is a sound. There are different qualities of silence. Very difficult to get. Most people won't get silence if we just stop talking on the radio. There will be stuff going on in the room around them. And if you can't get silence in your life, then relative peace and quiet is okay, especially if you're out in nature and you can get some peace and quiet with just you know, quiet, natural sounds around you. But if you can get a few minutes of real silence in a day, it's so refreshing. Okay, you're making me even nervous about the 15 seconds. 15 seconds might be too long. Let's, let's try 10 seconds of absolute silence. Okay, Julian? Okay. Go for it. I've got my, my watch set. Go. Okay, that was like some of the scariest radio we've done ever here. But but it was interesting because as we were completely silent, I could hear, as you mentioned, I could hear the air conditioner. Merritt sitting next to me. I could hear her pen um, making a, a, a super quiet noise. But it was interesting how then you go to that complete silence. That was cool. And if you can do that for three minutes, it's amazing how long that, you know, for some people that can stretch into inter- eternity. Some people find silence very threatening, and, and that's a an interesting place to look. You know, if you find silence oppressive, then there's a question to ask, and why is that? Um, and it's a, it is a very, very useful practice. I'm not saying meditate or do anything, you know, challenging or out of the ordinary. Just sit quiet in silence, and it recalibrates you. So that's practice number one. Okay, three silence. silence. Three to five day. minutes of complete silence to recalibrate your ears. What's the next step, our next little practicing exercise here? And you can do these at any time in any order, and you don't have to do them all every day, so it's nothing too strenuous. Number two is what I call the mixer. And the mixer is like in a recording studio. You know you have different channels with faders on them, and each channel has a different sound on it. Well, next time you go to a, a coffee bar uh, or a restaurant or a shop or anywhere, actually, that you are in life, you're surrounded by a mixture of sounds, which we would call the soundscape around you. Then the mixer exercise is to start asking yourself, how many individual sounds can I hear right now? It's a really good fun game to play if you're sitting having a coffee. You can say, how many people can I hear talking? And how many spoons on cups? And where's the music coming from? How many loudspeakers can I hear? You can really start to get your listening to be much more acute and sophisticated if you play this game. Instead of just having a mush around you, suddenly you're listening to individual soundtracks. It was amazing because as you were describing that, first of all, when you're talking about being in a coffee shop, I, I was just picturing sort of generic talking going on. But then as you started describing the individual channels, like where, where the music's coming and someone clinking a spoon and, and someone in, in the back dropping a pot or someone in walking through the door, I, all of a sudden I'm realizing that all those channels are really around us all the time, aren't they? They are, absolutely, and pretty much anywhere that you are, you can play this game, and it, uh, it beats texting for a few minutes. I mean, if, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just an alternative, but it, it actually really centers you in where you are, and it makes you much more present, and then you're listening to everything more acutely. You, you become an active listener like this. So yeah. that's number two, the mixer. And what's number three? After we've been silenced and now we've been uh, conscious of all these different audio channels that are coming in, what's third? Number three I call savoring. And this is about unlocking the hidden choir in seemingly mundane sounds around us all the time. So I noticed this um, quite a long time ago. I have a tumble dryer in my house. And the tumble dryer, I suddenly noticed, is a waltz. It goes, the whole time. It's in three time. Okay, Julian, you really are a strange person. I'm just telling you, okay? Yeah, well, you know, that's what it does. And... uh, (laughs) 
I actually did a radio show in the States not so long ago where I sent that sound file to them to, to play because I thought, hey, that's, that's quite a pleasant rhythm. And actually, I've never noticed it before, but now I've noticed it, then I can actually enjoy that. It's, it's not a, a hideous noise that is irritating me. It's actually something that's quite pleasant. Waltz time, interestingly, is the time signature of the human heartbeat, if you think about it. The heart rate goes lub-dub-pause, 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 which is why you don't get much aggressive music written in three-time. Waltzes are normally happy. Most people feel happy when they're hearing three time. It's a, it's a, a kind of positive and affirming time signature generally. Anyway, I sent it to this American radio station. They happened to have a small orchestra there and they played a little waltz over the top of it, uh, which was a really beautiful thing. So now every time I hear that tumble dry, I think of that beautiful little piece of Mozart they were playing over the top of it. You can do this with any sound. You know, there are a lot of sounds around which are fascinating. If you turn on a kettle, and put your ear close to it, not not close to the Not too closer. You'll burn your ear, and then you'll never hear yes. anything again as long as you live, and we'll have you to blame for that, Julian. So we're going to not, yes. yeah, so not too close. Yes, with a health warning. So not too close to the spout. But, uh, you know, if you, if you just put your ear relatively close to the base of the kettle and listen to it, there's a huge richness in that sound. I'm willing to bet there are lots of sounds around you which you hear on a daily basis, which actually are really interesting. So savoring is about starting to take notice of things that we were ignoring and just ask, is there something in there that I can enjoy? That's number three, savoring. And uh, by the way, just so you know, Jay-Z and Eminem, two big musicians over here in the States, are now uh, bidding on your tumble dry music. They, w- they, want to, they want to sample that in the next coming hit that they're going to release, okay? Just so you know. I don't, it, think, they've, yeah, I don't think they've got enough money, actually. I, I, I would hold out for a seriously high price on okay. that tumble dry now. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> so. a great sound. Okay, you got a couple more exercises for us here in a couple more minutes. Absolutely. Number four is uh, probably the most significant of them all. We have a, a whole bunch of filters in our listening. Your filters are different from mine. They come from culture, language, um, upbringing, you know, attitudes, uh, values that we've developed along the way. It, it, they change the way that we listen. So everybody's listening is unique. Now, exercise number four is what I call listening positions. I don't mean physical positions. This is a, a kind of metaphor, like if there's a house on a hill and you don't like the way it looks from here, you can get up and walk around the other side and see if it looks different. Well, if that metaphor is about listening, most people are listening in a concrete bunker they built many years ago, and from that one spot they listen their whole life. Now, there are many other places you can listen from. So, for example, I'll give you some examples of this. Uh, You've got critical listening, which is what most of the listeners are doing right now. Their, their little voice in their head is, is saying, well, oh, that's interesting, I didn't know that, or where did you get that from? That's rubbish, I don't agree with that. So we're criticizing the whole time and judging and evaluating. That is a pretty normal listening position, especially in business, but for most of us, pretty familiar. At the other end of that scale, I guess you might have empathetic listening where we go onto the other person's island, we feel their feelings. At the end of empathetic listening, that person feels not just heard but understood. They really feel that we've got it. That's a very different listening from critical. And they're both very useful in, in certain situations. But if we get the listening position inappropriate for the situation, then it can be pretty destructive or pretty ineffective. I'll just give you one more example, which 
may save a lot of marriages. I don't know. I'm all ears for this. Not that I have a bad marriage, Julian, but I'm all ears. Anything I can do to help improve things, okay. Well, I'm, yes, I've had people come up to me after my trainings and say this is, this is a, the best marital aid they've ever encountered. So uh, this is a little bit of a gender stereotype, but nevertheless, I think there's enough truth in it that people recognize it. Men tend to listen in a way that I call reductive, which is to say for a point. Amen. Amen, Julian. We're listening for something good. We don't want to just hear our wives ramble on about stuff. Uh-oh, I'm going to get in trouble when I get home, I'm just telling you. Okay, we're, look, we're listening for a point. I hear you. So men, men typically, the, you know, typical male conversation is man A says to man B, I've got this problem, man, man B says, here's the solution. Yeah, thanks. And on you go with life. Amen. So You're productive. Crazy. You've moved on. You've taken care of what you need to do, and everything's good exactly. in the world. Women. Yeah, though, now you're, now you're opening a can of worms here, Julian. <laughs> Women, on the other hand, tend to listen in a way that I call expansive, which is to say there is no point. It's not about a destination. Okay, I just want everyone to know, Julian is the one who said there is no point when women are talking and listening, okay? <laughs> this, this is not me. This is Julian who said this. I can assure you, Darren, I can assure you, all the women listening know exactly what I'm talking about. There is no destination in mind. This is enjoying the journey. It's being with the other person, smelling the roses, just seeing where it goes and having a good time. And it doesn't have to go anywhere particular. So what happens if you get those two listenings mixed up? She comes home. And she says, I've had this awful day. This happened, this happened, this happened. And he looks up from the football game and says, have a bath. You'll feel much better. That's right. You're doing something. You're productive. He's helping solve the solution here. In the male world, that is job done, problem solved, and he can go back to the football. In the female world, that does not work too well because what she was looking for was, you poor thing, sit down, let me pour you a glass of wine, tell me all about it now. That's expensive listening, being with the person. So if men can, from time to time, move out from reductive to expansive, that can be a real shift. Or, in I mean, what is the biggest, or Julian, the if women could come to men's side, that would help exactly. things as well, you know. I was about to say that. This isn't one-sided. Okay. Okay. So women, if you, if you want your man to do something, then pose a problem to him, and he'll solve it like a shot. There we go. So, the biggest issue that uh, the biggest complaint you ever hear in relationships, especially from women, is what he never listens. Yeah, and that's what they mean. He never listens expansively to me. Okay. So listening positions can be really powerful. There are many of them. Listeners, you can make your own ones up. The important thing is just to get the idea that you don't have to listen from inside your bunker. You can come out from there. You can move around, and you can try different listening positions for different situations. We'll let people know. Julian's got got one more great exercise for us. We're going to catch it after this break here. And uh, and I also, Julian, want to ask you, do we need to teach listening? Is that even something maybe even the schools need to? Don't answer it yet. Hang on just a second. We're talking to Julian Treasure. We were sort of calling him a soundologist, but maybe he's an expert on sound, so we could call you a sound spurt. Would that mean? No, I don't know if that uh, that's, works. That's, that's, that's giving me a really weird image now. Yeah, <laughs> never mind. We'll, we'll keep trying. We continue to talk to Julian Treasure, our soundologist sound spurt, when we come back here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt 
Townsend Show. I'm Darren Adams, filling in for Matt, who is off today. Welcome you here on BYU Radio. We're talking to Julian Treasure. He wrote the book, literally wrote the book on sound branding, and the book's called Sound Business. You might have seen his TED Talk. If you're into TED Talks, go watch some of them. They're fascinating. He's just got great insight and great opinions on how on how we listen, not just hear things, but how we listen and how we are losing the ability to listen. Although we take, although we hear a whole bunch of information, according to Julian, we only actually process about 25% of that. We're trying to come up with a new title for Julian, soundologist, sound spurt. Uh, how about how about ear technician? Ju- Julian, does ear technician work for you? Yeah, that uh, conjures up images of... Nasty equipment that okay. perhaps wouldn't want to be using. So yeah. I think soundology is the best so far. Okay, okay. I'm scratching off. I'm scratching off ear technician. That's going off the list. We're still we're still leaning towards soundologist here. We were going through for people who are just joining us. Julian is helping us listen better, not just hear things, but how we can actually process the information and from the stuff that we take into our ears, how we extract the things that are important. He's giving us five exercises practicing things that we can do every day. One, we're supposed to be silent every day for three to five minutes. It helps calibrate your ears. We're supposed to go to a noisy environment like a coffee shop or something like that and see if you can pick out the different sound channels, the, the someone walking in, the someone talking, the music on. The, just pick out the different sound channels that are all being mixed into your ears. We're supposed to be savoring the sounds that we're hear every day, like the tea kettle, like the tumble dryer, just appreciating some of the beautiful sounds that you hear every day and you ignore, and then changing your listening position, not physically, but just the, the way that you listen and the, the perspective that you listen. So, Julian, we're waiting for exercise number five. What is the fifth thing on our list of ways that we can, we can listen better here? Well, number five is about human communication. So it's listening to somebody speaking. And the acronym for this one is easy to remember. It's RASA, R-A-S-A, RASA, which is actually the Sanskrit word for juice. But in this context, it stands for four really important aspects of listening to somebody who's speaking to you. And this is valuable whether you're a leader in a business or a teacher or a spouse or a lover or a parent or just a friend. Any kind of human relationship will benefit from applying Rasa. So let's do them in turn. The R of Rasa is receive. That means paying attention with your body. So I've often said this to my teenage children as they say, I am listening to you as they're off to one side looking down and tapping onto a device. I said, no, that is not listening. Listening is when you're looking fully at somebody. It's normal when you're listening to somebody to have full eye contact. Now, Julian, can I can I be watching football and still listening to my wife? Though, because I'm I can multitask. I can watch the I can watch sports on TV and still hear her talking, especially if she's just going on and on about the day and needs me to acknowledge that. Am I able to do that? Do you think as a multitasker? Uh, the honest answer to that, Darren, is no. Okay. That's not real listening. Well, I, you know, well in, in, in actuality, Julian, I'm not really listening. I mean, I will, we'll be honest. If I'm really watching the sports, I'm not really listening. I'm just sort of pretending to. Yeah, watching the sports with the odd grunt doesn't constitute listening. Darn it. Um, I was hoping you were going to, like, sign off on that. Okay, watching yeah. and grunting doesn't count. <laughs> no, sadly. Do you know, there are many people in the world who have never had the experience of being truly listened to. Truly listening is the most generous thing you can do to another human being, I believe. And it involves, for the moment, that person becoming the most important thing in the entire world and the only thing that you're paying attention to. Now, that's an amazing, generous gift. So the R of Rasa is eye contact, 
If you're sitting, it's leaning slightly forward. Normally, it's forward body language, square on to the person who's talking, not turned away or doing something else, but square on and not messing around with anything else, just being absolutely focused on them. That's the R, receive. Okay, a, I've got it. And now the next time for my wife's birthday or Christmas, I'm going to say the greatest gift. Julian told me, dear, the greatest gift I can give you is just to listen to you. So I didn't buy you anything, but I'm just all yours. You can talk to me now for five minutes. Do you know, Darren, I reckon she would be immensely happy with that. Wow, that's going to be really easy. Do. Okay. Yeah, I, I, just try it. Well, you know, I, 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 say, I say it's going to be easy, but it probably is going to be much more difficult. Not that it's hard for me to listen to my wife, but it would probably is a bigger challenge, I would imagine, the average person would, would think, right? It is, yes, because we spend so much time half listening to each other in relationship, partly because we think we know what they're going to say next, or we've consigned them to this little box where, yeah, yeah, I know what you're going to say. And we're doing something else, so we're not paying attention very much most of the time. So this kind of listening I'm talking about is very different. You know, you can't do this all of the time. Like if you're driving, it would be seriously dangerous to turn to the person talking and put your whole attention onto them. Uh, however, there are times when we can do this. So R is pay attention with your body, receive. The A is appreciate. That's little noises uh, like, hmm, oh, Really? Mm. That's sort of like when we were watching sports and we're grunting occasionally. That would, that would be sort of yeah. like, not, that doesn't really count, but sort of like that, little grunting yeah, sounds. A few steps up the ladder from, from the grunting, okay. yeah, perhaps. Okay. Something a little bit more human and interactive and a little bit more genuine. Uh, they, these are the little noises, the oil conversation. They lubricate it. They keep it going. Uh, I'm very bad at this on the telephone. I mean, often people will say to me, are you still there? Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I'm listening intently, but just haven't said anything for a while. So... The, the A is appreciate. The S is summarize. Now, I'm a great defender of the word so, which is unfortunately being vastly abused in the modern world. Um, you know, it's being used at the beginning of almost every sentence. You know, what do you do? So, I'm a technician. No, there was no logical sequence there. The word so is a really powerful word. If you're a so person in business particularly, you're very valuable because you're the one who says partway through the meeting, so... What we've all agreed is this, you gather it all up, you put it aside, and now we can move on to that. And I, 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 would, I would imagine if you, can, if you can start a sentence literally with the word so in this conversation where you're, you're actually really paying attention to someone, then whatever follows after that is going to be a really good – it will show that you have been listening. If you can start it with so, it shows that you've been listening up to that point, right? As long as the so is a sequitur, as long as the so is a logical sequence from what they just said. Yeah, so, okay. in other words, uh, you, would, you would say, so, uh, he left, uh, as a, as a follow-on from what they just said. It's a very powerful way of, of saying to somebody, I heard what you just said, I'm recycling it, I'm processing it, and now let's move on to the next thing, because I've got it. Okay. And the A, the final piece of rasa, is ask. It's questions. So at the end, asking questions, all the way through asking questions, it shows interest, it shows you're engaged, and it gives a, a dialogue to the conversation. So Rasa, receive, appreciate, summarize, ask. And that is a very powerful way to enhance listening in human communication. That is exercise number five of our five exercises to teach us how to listen better, and probably the most important of all as we're as we're really processing. It's almost like you've done these four leading up to it, and then this is sort of your, your test to see to see how well you're really doing there. Julie, I want to ask you, because you were talking earlier about skills that we have. 
and that we don't teach how to speak and we don't teach how to listen. But we do teach a little bit how to speak in English in, in like in our schools. But you're right that we absolutely do nothing with listening. Should we be teaching listening skills in schools? Yeah, I really believe that we need to do that. And in fact, I'm working with a teacher in Florida uh, on a syllabus for younger children, uh, which will have lots of exercises where they get to experience what it's like when people listen in different ways. You know, uh, we're all listening for each other. And, you know, if, I, if you're talking to me and we're physically together and I, I, I turn my back on you and I'm doing something else, you, do, you feel bad. You know, you feel like uh, maybe there's something wrong with you or, you know, you're not doing it well enough or something like that. Uh, whereas if I turn to you and operate rasa fully, you feel good, you feel engaged, you feel worthwhile. You know, it gives it gives a sense of self worth when somebody's listening. Yeah, I'm also guessing. I'm thinking that it's it's almost uh, it's almost etiquette. I mean, good listening is really good etiquette. It's really good manners that we're teaching people, right? That's part of it, absolutely. Yes, uh, it's also good for us because we receive. You know, we get to appreciate other people. Listening is the doorway to understanding. Conscious listening is the doorway to understanding. So if we want kids to get on and not to have fights in the schoolyard and not to vilify or hate people just because they, they're different or they have some sort of prejudice about them, listening is a fantastic way to open all of those doors and to have people really appreciate other people for what they are. The, uh, the teacher in Florida has a wonderful technique that uh, she uses with really young children and she has them chant this. They, she says, what are the three things we listen with? And they go, we listen with our ears, with our eyes, and with our hearts. And I think that's very beautiful. Yeah. Ears, eyes, and hearts. I'm, I'm cross-stitching that, and I'm putting it on a pillow, okay? I'm, I'm doing something with that. I'm hanging it on a – I'm decoupaging it and putting it on a plaque on, on the wall. I, I want to ask you one, one more thing. When people come to you to learn how to listen, do you ever hear any success stories? Do people ever say, it's – it's sort of changed my life because blank, 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 or, or I'm, I'm better at something now because I've learned to listen. Have you heard any success stories from people who have learned how to listen properly? Yes, many people have uh, come back and said uh, either their relationships have changed dramatically. Um, I mean, after all, anybody who's got teenage children, for example, knows the struggle of communication sometimes uh, at that difficult age. Um, and I teach another form of listening called active listening, uh, which is used a lot in the therapeutic professions where you say, what I heard you say is, and if you have a teenager whose parent says, what I heard you say is that you hate me and you want to kill me and you never want to live here again. <laughs> it's surprising to the teenager because normally what they get is don't ever say that again. Go to your room and don't come down till you can talk civil. You know, what they don't get is I heard you say this. And the response is probably going to be, uh, well, yeah, that is what I said, but I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. And it's a different, a whole different conversation then for them to feel heard. So I get that quite a lot. I get uh, stuff about relationships. I get uh, people talking about um, the power of listening to people in sales, particularly because any salesperson who's worth their salt will tell you that the most important part of the sales conversation is the listening, not the speaking. And I've had that quite a few times as well. People talking about how it's, it's transformed their success in business to become good listeners. And I, I know just quickly, because we're about to run out of time, you talk about three different kinds of listening. One is inner, one is outer. But what is creative listening all about? Uh, well, it's create TED listening.
listening, and it's um, it's the concept that we are a listening for other people. So I'm a listening for you right now, and I can choose where that is. And that means that other people are a listening for us. And the important thing about with creative listening is to take responsibility for the listening we create. So, you know, if you're eternally late when your friends ask you out, they have a listening for you as late Darren. And we can change that by our behavior. Uh, it's a much more powerful place to be if we take responsibility for the listening that we create as opposed to complaining about people's opinions about us or saying, you know, nobody ever listens to me or whatever it may be. Complaining is not a strong place to be, but uh, we can actually take responsibility for the listening that we create. Mm, see, we're, we're responsible for that. What is, what is the inner and outer? What are those kinds of listening? What do these consist of? Well, outer listening is uh, listening to the world around us, pretty much as we've been discussing the whole of this uh, conversation. Inner listening is listening to that little voice inside, the one that just said, what little voice is he talking about, that little voice. And that little voice, of course, isn't all of us. It's a part of us probably talking. And the really transformational uh, understanding here is to get that you're not the one speaking. You're the one who's listening. Now, that is fundamental. Because once you start to realize you're the one who's listening, you can then take that voice, which, you know, for most of us, quite a lot of the time says not very useful things. You can say, you know, it might say, you idiot, there you go again, or you'll never succeed in that. Or, you know, those kind of scripts that we all have those kind of things going on. And instead of believing that's me talking, I can tousle its head and say, thanks a lot, but I'm not going to listen to that right now. It's not helpful. It's not very kind. It's probably not true. And I can move on. So if I'm the one who's listening, not the one who's speaking, that's a crucial distinction. So inner listening can be very powerful in freeing us from all sorts of restrictions that we place on ourselves. And Julian, we could, we could talk to you all day long, but I know you've got some great information with your TED Talks online. If you had to tell people to go listen to one of your TED Talks, is there one that you like the most of all that you would tell people to go listen to? I think it would be the one on conscious listening, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's one about how sound affects us. There's one about sound and health. There's one about architecture, uh, architecture and why we need to design spaces for our ears. But, yeah, the, the most important one, I think, is the conscious listening one. I listened to that myself, and it was I found myself glued to it the whole time. It was... It was it was just you standing on a stage talking, and I was I was paying attention to the whole thing. So obviously I was I was doing a little better at listening than the average person, wasn't I? Fantastic. Well, it's only ten minutes long, so it's not a big chunk of life. I already warned you, Julie. I warned you. I have a short attention span. Ten minutes to me that's <laughs> that's like an eternity, you know. <laughs> well, I appreciate you. You you were still there at the end, then, Darren. My wife, she, she gets maybe like twenty seconds when I come home, and I start my eyes start glazing over and. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that'll be a beautiful, beautiful listening this evening when you get home. I know. I've, I have my exercises, so I'm going to practice the exercise on the way home. And when I get home, I'll be just in time for rasa, which, which is the interpreted means juice. Is that what it is? Juice is the, it's, yes, it's the Sanskrit word for juice. Okay. It's better than pouring juice in your ears. Doing the receive, appreciate, summarize, and ask. And remember, grunting counts, but if you can get up a couple notches on the ladder, it's a little bit better. Remember Julian's quote there, listening is the doorway to understanding. And I think that's that's sort of the key to this whole thing. Julian, how about this? How about if we call you a CEO, a chief ear officer? Like instead of a chief that's executive, brilliant. could that be okay? I love that. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Chief ear officer or soundologist, whichever, whichever you prefer there. It has been fascinating. Julian, thanks so much for sharing your afternoon with us. Actually, it's evening because you're over there in, in sunny old Britain, right? 
That's it. Yeah, well, not so sunny at the moment. It's cold and windy and damp, but uh, hey, this is Britain. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what it is every single day over there. Julian Treasure, the author of the book Sound Business. You can find his information on TED Talks. He's a, he's a fascinating person with all the information that you need. Also been widely featured in the world's media, including Time Magazine, Economist, The Times. If you'd like more information and go on to go to his website, Julian, correct me, it's juliantreasure.com, right? That'll work, yep, that's perfect. Okay, so you can find all the information and, uh, and tap into him and his sound branding and his helping you to be a more understanding and a better listener. Julian, thanks so much. We'll be back with more on the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm Darren Adams filling in. And they didn't warn me about everything that might go on in a in a radio studio during the afternoon. A little while ago, you might remember when we were talking to Julian, we said, Julian, we want to do a little exercise and we want to have absolute silence. We want to have dead silence so we can help recalibrate our ears. So we said, we'll just have 10 seconds where absolutely nothing will happen. Well, it was a great little exercise to help us recalibrate our ears. I did not realize that you cannot have dead air on the radio. The computers go crazy. Alarms start going off. If he, if they sense there's dead air, they think there's something wrong. And like musical kicking or, or weird stuff. Rob, we almost had like a national catastrophe here. Well, you know, because radio is kind of a stretch your arms out, kick back kind of environment. They have chairs that recline and countertops that are just high enough that you can stand if you want. And, but yeah, rule number one of radio is uh, there's big boxes downstairs that uh, start blinking with bad red warning lights if, uh, you know, kind of put our head down on the desk and try to have a nap, you know? Yeah. Which so, I could see the appeal to that uh, in there's, morning there's, shows, yes. and, you know? There's a reason we can't have dead air, but, you know, we did, I didn't realize it. There's a rules there, and uh, and we almost had ambulances and fire departments pulling up to the oh, and, and, We and, did, and, and, we and it's not just here. Sirius yeah. XM. Yes, yeah, then they're, they get on the they're phone. They're asking us, too, you know. Hey, what's the what's the deal? We're sensing that there's like 10 seconds of dead air out there. What are you guys doing out there? Is there is there a problem? Uh, do we need to get someone out there to recalibrate the Wichita McGurl? I don't even know they, what they, they, they got to just, you know, they want to keep their subscribers happy. Exactly. You know? So we've now taken care of that and know, again, that if we ever have Julian on again, we are not going to have, but as much as we'd love to, we won't be able to have 10 seconds well, we, of dead we air. We can uh, simulate dead air. We could say, you know, just pretend it's quiet and then just have, you know, well, that's definitely not We it. could have that. That would be one option. It's supposed to be crickets, yes. but uh, something happened today. Gundam Star. Okay, now we that's can all a, that dance. That quiet a little bit, too. Don is sitting in his office right now thinking, well, what are we supposed to dance in Gangnam Style? What is this? But no alarms would have gone off if we'd played exactly. that instead of silence. We would have been safe. So we've learned that the hard way. Do you have a little extra little story for us, right? Okay. You want to test to see if you're a good listener? Yes, I do. You may, and having you having raised children, you probably already know the answers to these. But maybe not. Okay. Kindergartners get this right. Adults get it wrong. Okay. Question is, how do you put an elephant into a fridge? Oh, there's going to be 10 seconds of silence while I'm trying to think <laughs> of that. Uh, you put a trail of peanuts that leads them in there. You open the door, you put the elephant in, and you close the door. <laughs> okay. So how do you put a giraffe in the fridge? Yeah, I mean, You open the door, you put the giraffe in, you close the door. No, you open the door, remove the elephant, uh, put the giraffe in, and close the door. Okay, okay. Okay, here's another one for you. The lion 
who's the king of the jungle. Sure. He decides he's going to have a party. So he invites all the animals of the jungle, and they come to his cave, except for one. Which animal doesn't come to his party? The lamb. I don't know. The giraffe. He's in the refrigerator. And finally, there's an alligator-infested river. How do you get across? Yeah. Is this is this have something to do with the elephant? The elephant that's out of the fridge. The the giraffe is going to leave. You have the giraffe lying up next to the elephant, and you walk across them carrying the fridge. I don't have a clue. You just wade across the river because the alligator's at the Lion King's party. Of course. How did I forget that? He's been invited having the grand old time. Obviously, I didn't do too well on that. Coming up, Julie Nelson, parenting expert, is going to be here. We've talked earlier about husbands versus wives and who listens better. What happens when it comes to parents versus children? Who listens better there? And even when it comes down to the mom or the dad, who do you think is going to get the awards for listening in the best way to their kids? That's all to continue on The Matt Townsend Show. It's not Gangnam Style, but we're dancing here in the studios nonetheless. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show here on BYU Radio. Matt off today. My name is Darren Adams, filling in as a guest host for you. We've been talking about listening all day and how we have lost the art of listening, and it is a skill that you need to bring back. And we listen in different ways as well. So we wanted to find out who's a better listener, parents when they're talking to their kids, or the kids when they're talking to parents. Who who has the better listeners involved there? We had to get some kind of parenting expert. So Julie Nelson, she's a wife, mother of five children, author of Parenting with Spiritual Power. She has a master's degree in marriage, family, and human development. We had to find out from her, not only is she a parenting expert, she knows everything to do, she needs to know about me and a great mother, so she made some phenomenal chocolate chip cookies that we're enjoying here in the studio. But that aside, so who do you think? Who are the better listeners? When a kid comes up to the mom and says, Mom, 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 here's what happened at school today, Mom, and then proceeds to tell, or the mom, which says, okay, now I need you to go upstairs and I need you to clean your room and do blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Who hasn't the better listening then? I love your examples, Darren, because look at the two things you asked. The child wants to talk about his day open-ended. The mom wants something done. Okay? Do you really want to sit around and listen to a parent who bosses you around all day? No. No. Yeah. But that's what parents do. So listeners out there, think about that question. Who's a better listener, parents or children? Now, of course, our egos are all going to, you know, jump up and go, yeah, well, of course, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a better listener. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I know more. I'm smarter. And, um, you know, I do everything better than my kids. Because I'm thinking all the times I've told my kids, how many times have I told you to pick exactly. your shoes up in the front of the door and put exactly. them away where I don't, you know, and they don't listen. That's right. That's right. So we all want to think we're better listeners. Now, these are generalities, Darren, of course. I'm not, you know, saying this is everybody, but I think, bah, children are better listeners than parents. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because, that cannot be true. Uh, that cannot. Now, you can disagree I, with me out there. All of your accolades I am now throwing out the window. <laughs> Who cares about all okay. that master schmaster's yeah, I degree? I know. I know. What does that all mean? So let me just defend myself. And again, you may be one of those awesome parents that don't do this. But, you know, because we think we're better, we're superior, we do all these things better, then we're going to tell our kids what to do, right? So we are going to be parents that direct our kids 
to do things we want them to do. So pick up your clothes, turn off the TV, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, they're not going to listen to us because that's not what they want to do, right? Now, they heard us. But are they going to listen and be compliant? No. So it looks like they're not listening to us. But they heard you. Oh, sure. They heard you enough to keep watching TV, you know, and to ignore you. They're, you know, they're censoring you. Would you guess, would you guess that if you actually then intervened and turned the TV off and said, okay, now I need you. I'll give you $100 if you can repeat to me what I said. Do you think they would be able to oh, recall it? What do you think, Darren? Yeah, Absolutely. We'd be broke as parents. That's we'd be right. shelling out that 100 bucks. That's right. Because, you know, we think that we're going to make all the decisions for our kids and tell them what to do without any input with what they want to say and what they want to share. Because end of conversation, I know it's best. So... We don't listen at all. We want to tell our kids because we want things done. We're like what Julian said. There's expansive listening and there's reductive listening. We are reductive parents. We want things done. We want we want to get problems fixed. We want to move on in life because we're in a hurry. Now, kids, what do they want? They want expansive listening. Mom, like your example, let me tell you about my day. Yeah. Let's just talk. We're not going to fix anything. They're listeners. But I have a feeling if, if mom's rolling out mm-hmm. the pie crust mm-hmm. or whatever when the mm-hmm. kid comes home and then the, and the kid says here's what I did in, in, in second period today and John came up and he borrowed my lunchbox and then he threw and we'll go through this whole big story if you then said to the mom okay I'll give you $100 if you can recall that story mom probably couldn't recall the story as well as the kid could recall <laughs> the things that parents that's right told we're them. juggling a lot yeah. and we're not good listeners we're not because we're not present in the moment and I want to talk to our listeners today about conscious listening. And that's what Julian talked about, conscious listening. And if you have 5,000 things going on and we're trying to juggle and as parents, we are multitaskers, we're going to give them maybe 25% yeah. of our listening ear. And kids know it. And they really, they really don't know that we are there in understanding them. And he said conscious listening is the door to understanding. Our kids don't know that we really understand them. We don't get them. You know, because we're, we're just partly there because we're rolling out the pie crust and we're doing this. Oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh-huh, yeah. Because we're not there. We're not using conscious listening with them. So I think kids have it up on parents. You can disagree with me. But overall, I think we parents need to kind of reevaluate uh, our approach because we do too much ordering and too much bossing and get this done. No arguments. You know, but what if, it, what if a child wants to say something? What if they want to have part of the conversation? Do we have time for them? Let me give examples, okay? Let's say that you use some empathetic listening skills, okay? What would the conversation... Well, first of all, I've got to have empathetic listening yeah, skills, yeah. so that's going to be a problem right yeah. there. Because we want to be intentional as parents. What does empathetic listening skills mean, Darren? It means I, I want to be present in I'm the moment. I'm glad you're answering this question and not just yeah. asking the okay. question. So you're like, what does it mean? I'm like, well, well, I have to come up with the answer. Yeah. But okay, no, you're coming up with I'm the answer put, for me. Okay, okay. No, I can put you on the spot, though. Okay. You know what does empathy mean? You, you feel, you for, feel some, for someone. You feel for someone, yes. So if I'm conscious, if I'm doing conscious listening, like like Julian just said, I'm going to be present in the moment and I'm going to use empathetic listening, like active listening, like he said, you know, active. Okay. so if I have a child that comes to me and says, I hate Shelly. She's so mean. Okay, okay. a parent who's 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 not empathetic, who wants to get things done, who wants to fix it and shut it down, says, no, you don't hate her. She's a nice girl. Go, go play. Yeah. Okay. because I don't have time. Okay, that's, that's what I think a lot of parents would do. But then let's try this expansive listening. Let's do some empathetic. Let's be there in the moment and say, wow, you sound upset. What happened? Hmm? 
Okay. But the part of the problem when you ask that question is then there's going to be more, That's more talking right. back and you got to keep listening. <laughs> I just want to be done with it. I, I want to move on. I know. So, so you, he gave the gender differences in listening where yeah. guys all just want to kind of get it done. That's how parents are because we're all task oriented as parents. We got to do 5,000 things, die, right? But kids, they want the expansive listening. They want someone to know that they're heard and understood. And so if you sat there and go, man, what happened? Something, you know, sounds terrible. What did, what happened? You sound really upset. Okay, let's give an example. I don't want to go to school. We never heard that, did we? Oh, yeah. I don't want to go to school. Okay, now the shutdown parent would say what? You're going to school. It's late. The bus is coming in 10 minutes. <laughs> um, get up, get dressed. I packed your lunch and get out there right now. That's right. That's right. Are, okay, so listening. Can you ask. tell I've said that maybe once or right. twice to a kid or my wife has? We're not listening at all, are we? Yeah. No. So then the, we want to change ourselves. Okay. We want to be conscious. We want to use that that expansive listening and get some information. Okay, now, so now I, I have a feeling I know what the what the expansive right. empathetic mm-hmm. thing would be. Mm-hmm. It would be, why don't you want to go to school? Is there a problem? Can I mm-hmm. help you? Is that sort of what we're going for? Yes, yes. But and that takes more time. I, I, I don't have time. The bus is on its that's way, right. Julie. That's it's right. there. The people are out there already. <laughs> I know. I know. That's the tough thing. And you know what you can say is say you know school is tough. And we have five minutes before the bus comes. I want you to go and give it your best shot. When you come home, I want to hear everything that's going on in school. Because really, we don't, I mean, you can't have time always for, let's have a sit down for 30 minutes. But, you know, we really do need to be more conscious and not push things to the very last minute and overschedule our lives. We're overscheduling ourselves and our kids. We can't even have conscious listening anymore. And that's one thing Julian talked about is surrounding ourselves with so much stimuli, so much going on in our lives that we can't even be present with our kids. Uh, with what's going on and understand them. So, yeah, we want to say, you know, what's going on in school? It's, it, I know it was tough for me, too, when I went to school some days. I want to hear about this, you know, either now or when you get back. But Ch- And chances are this isn't the first a parent's mm-hmm. heard about it. I mean, chances mm-hmm. are they've, you know, mm-hmm. seen this sort of coming up so that mm-hmm. they know sort of what to walk them through. Or, right. Well, see, now, now here... Once again, as I'm walk them through, because I'm trying to solve the problem here, because I'm anxious to get them to the bus. They don't, I don't want them to miss. Yeah. But yeah, but maybe even at least letting them voice some of those concerns. And yes, and from my from my research, from knowing what they say out there about this type of listening is, you may still have an unhappy child going to the bus that day, but they know they were at least heard. And some of that anxiety will just go away knowing that mom or dad took the time to go, school is tough. I know. Sometimes I didn't want to go to school either, and I bet it's kind of hard because since we just moved from, you know, the other city to this new city and you don't have any friends, just knowing that you were heard and understood, they'll go, yeah, and they might just go to school and it won't be such a big issue anymore just because someone's my advocate at home, someone's on my side, rather than get your butt out the door. I don't want to hear any more of this nonsense. Yeah. And no one's on your side. And kids need as many people on their side as they as, as possible during those rough years. And I think even that that whole phrase that you just said is so key to this whole conversation that we've been talking about for the last hour and forty five minutes is is that kids then know they were heard, mm-hmm. which is I think so important for any relationship. Mm-hmm. Any spouse mm-hmm. wants to know they were heard. It's almost like being heard is the equivalent of being loved. Yeah. And he mentioned, Julia mentioned in the service industry, and even like you said with relationships, oftentimes there's a conflict. Someone didn't like the product. They bring it back, and they're so mad. But if you just sit there and listen to them and go, yeah, I understand, then they walk away and go, okay, it's not so bad anymore. I think I can live with this product, you know? They just want someone to hear them out, and that's pretty much it, and problem solved. You don't even have to give them a refund. Or in a marriage, your spouse just wants to know that you 
cared enough to sit down and listen to them rather than shut them off and go, you know, go, go solve that. Go figure that out, you know, or this is what you should do. And they're like, no, I, I don't want to do that. I just want you to sit and listen to me and, and let me work through my emotions, you know, and maybe I'll come up with a solution myself as I talk it out yeah. rather than you tell me what to do. And I've even heard that doctors are sometimes taught listening skills. So in case something does go horribly awry, mm-hmm. that if they can go in and talk to the, the patient, and, and maybe they're on the verge of having a malpractice suit filed against them, but if they can talk to the person mm-hmm. and that person can then vent mm-hmm. and, and express their concerns, whatever, and that they really feel like they have been heard, mm-hmm. the chances greatly decrease that someone's going to file a malpractice oh, yeah. suit because That's, they feel like th- it's, it's good there, yeah. the relationship That's is That's why there. you have mediation. Yeah. Mediation stops that malpractice suit because someone just got heard. Someone came through and you could air your grievances and then people go, okay, you know, I can settle for a lot less or it's not so bad anymore or we can work through this. Yeah. And so it works in all kinds of things. So notice that those examples where the first parent said, you know, don't do that. It's, it's a judgment call. It's a fix it. It's a blame thing. No, you don't like her. You're being a bad kid right now for calling her that name or you don't hate your teacher. Uh, that parent is shutting down the child. They're not listening at all. And that's what we do too often. But the other one opens up the conversation. We have the the how and the whys and the what questions, those who questions, those open-ended things. You know, tell me more about it. Why did this happen? How, how What's going on? What can I do um, to, to be there for you? And those open up the relationship doors, you know, the conscious listening. And so you want to ask those who, what, why questions. And then the solutions just naturally follow. And what's so great is when the child comes up with a solution in the process of it because then they have ownership and they can't come back and blame you and go, you told me that it didn't right. work. And then they come up on their own and you're raising a conscious adult because those children are going to grow up being able to solve their own problems. And that's what you want. So that listening helps them to work through those things and come up with viable solutions that they can accept and work through. So yeah, you want to review these don'ts in your life. Listeners, do you judge, demand, and fix when your child comes to you with a problem? Or let's talk about empathetic listening, that, that intentional listening. Do you, are you present? Are you mindful? And are you aware? Okay. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like replaying in my mind conversations that I've had <laughs> and I don't know if all the time I'm that empathetic mm-hmm. listener that I need to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just stop. Um, Julian talked a lot about just being aware of your surroundings and how many different tracks these soundtracks are playing in your life. If you've got the TV going on, if you've got your t- cell phone going on, you've got all these things going on, are they detracting from the one most important thing right now, and that is your child? L- play that soundtrack. Listen to them because nothing else matters. So re- reduce these other things from your life and listen to their that soundtrack, what they have to say to you. Um, you know, If they come to you and you shut them down time and time again, they're not going to come to you anymore with their problems. Do you want them to go somewhere else? They'll go to someone who will listen. It's all yeah. down to who, who's yeah. going to listen to them. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And we see that again and again where children want to uh, be heard. They want to belong. They want to be felt. Someone understands them. And they'll go to someone. The, the lesser common denominator might be want to be the parent first, but then they might go to friends. And then it might go to, you know, gangs. Uh, you, know, you never know where it's going to fall down. The less common denominator who will finally hear them and listen to them. And not just with kids, but I think as adults, we do that same mm-hmm. kind of thing. We will, we're, we're searching out in, in search of listening ears mm-hmm. and we go until we can find a That's listening right. ear. And as soon as we find that listening ear, then we confide in those people. So if, if you're, if you're married, if your spouse, 
if you're not listening, mm-hmm. they're going to go to find somebody who will. And who do you really want them to be confiding and telling those secrets? If you want to be the one they come to, mm-hmm. you got to open up the ears. Absolutely. You hit it, the nail on the head, Darren. They're going to keep going till they find someone who listens to them. And in spouses, well, how critical it is that you don't have a spouse that listens to you, and then you find someone who does, and then you establish that emotional intimacy with that person. And your spouse is no longer that emotional, intimate person. And then the marriage on the rocks. Yeah. And and even, and, and we're sort of hinting around like, you know, mm-hmm. husband, wife and finding members of the opposite sex. And maybe, you know, something happens, your marriage starts falling apart. Even if it's not that, even if it's just a, a girlfriend down the street, even if it's just a neighbor, mm-hmm. I would rather my wife think that she could confide in me mm-hmm. rather than anytime we have some kind of marital issue or some kind of a little bump in the road mm-hmm. that she's running down the street talking to the neighbor or something. I mean, that's, that's something that we need to work on together to build our relationship and build our marriage. And you can't do that unless you've got the ears. Absolutely. Got to have the ears. And we, we go back too much to our girlfriends or to our parents and we rely on them rather than going to the source of who should be talking to and listening to. And I've, I've also seen the example and heard the example many times where, uh, you know, newly met, newlyweds or even older, older couples, they don't have that listening ear. They don't have that confident, that emotional intimacy. And so they'll go back to the girlfriend or to the mom or whatever. And they say, you know what? He is such a loser. He does this and this and this. And, you know, he, he doesn't take out the trash and he doesn't bring me flowers anymore and all this stuff. And so the mom's up in arms. How dare you? be marrying my daughter. What a loser she's thinking in her head. Well, then the couple eventually works through that problem. You know, he starts telling her husband, you got to do, you know, pick it up, buddy. And he starts going, yeah, I really do. They solve the problem. But guess who's still mad at the son-in-law? The mother-in-law, because she wasn't part of the healing process, if it does happen. And she's going to carry on those, 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 that conversation that she heard forever because she wasn't there to fix it. She's just there when she got dumped on again and again. And so it's, it's dangerous to have listening ears where they shouldn't be. You know, this whole time, at the beginning of this whole thing, two hours ago, I honestly thought this was going to be a conversation in helping us to be a better listener. And so I could even help my daughter so she could listen better in history class or that I'd, you know, know how my wife could, you know, talk better or listen better when we're having conversations. But it really comes down to strengthening. It's like the key to everything because everything comes back to we, we need someone to listen to us. So whether it's relationships in our family, whether it's people at work, everyone needs someone to listen to them. And if you're that person who can listen, you're going you're gonna to be able to solve so many more problems just by learning how to listen more effectively. Yeah. And I love what Julian said about active listening as well. Being able to repeat back to them the rasa, you know, being able to ask questions and summarize and say, what is it that you just said that I could then tell you in a, in a summary sort of way and then follow up with some questions that let you know that I really was listening. And I have my students do this exercise where I have them, even just yesterday, I had them share with another classmate a problem that they had. Then the classmate had to then summarize it, but say in the first person as if it were their problem. Mm. I, I went to the store today and this and this happened. So then you personalize it because then you say it in the I form. And if you do that as a couple, then it, then I'm really stepping into your shoes. Not, well, this is what happened to you. It was now it's immediate. It's now it happened to me too. And so they practice that summarizing it in the, in the first person I form. And then they really hear the person. You've got to totally be listening to be able to be able yeah. to internalize that. Yeah. And then, and then, and then you start out. feeling the emotion of it. Yeah. And then I, then I, someone took my spot and then I got a car accident and then I had the police came and then you start feeling really empathetically because then it, it becomes your 
issue. And it's not just a game and exercise you do in class, but that's something we all need to be doing every single day mm-hmm. with the people who are important in our lives. Listening so much that we can feel the emotion mm-hmm. and feel where they are and really know be able, be step able to help shoes. Step yeah. in their shoes and walk away. Yeah. Okay. See, you know all the answers. No, you do, Darren. Well, I just ask all the stupid questions. <laughs> you have the answers. We'll remind you, Julie, she does have all the answers. She's been featured and written for academic journals and other online media, KSL.com, Family Share, Wall Street Journal. If you want to know more information, NelsonJulieK.com is the website, and she makes a really mean chocolate chip cookie. And we, at least here in the studio, are the benefactors, benefactors of that. Julie, thanks so much for your insight today. We will continue right here with the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Matt is off today. I'm Darren Adams filling in, and we're bringing back the whole gang today. Everyone except Skylar. So Rob's here, Merritt's here, Bryce is here. We even kept Julie around. Skylar came in uh, earlier today looking very sleep-deprived, and so he said, Skylar, it's it's too important of a job. It is too critical. There are too many important things that you have to be doing. You have to be in the top of your game. If you are sleep-deprived, you've gone like 35 hours without sleeping, just go home. Rob can take over. Rob knows how to do it. Rob, just a few seconds ago, informed us that he forgot to do some of the most critical recording things <laughs> for the entire show. Hey, uh, you know... Where, 90% is still Where is sleep-deprived Skyler when we need him? <laughs> Merritt, what have, what have you been your thoughts here in the last couple of hours? You have some interesting take on this, right? Yeah, yeah. We've been talking this whole time about how to listen to people, you know, how to listen to people communicate. But here's one thing that we do all the time. We listen to music. And I think everyone assumes that they know how to listen to music. But here's something I get a lot. My wait, 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 wait. Don't you just listen to music? You just put the earphones on or <laughs> whatever. You turn up the music, sound. That, yeah. <laughs> the differentiation. Yeah, because Julian Treasure, he defined music as, I mean, listening as extracting meaning from hearing, basically. And so I tell people all the time, I love jazz music. I love classical music. And I listen to it a ton. And people just think that is the strangest thing, which is kind of sad. Because that's like a lot. And that's kind of, you know, a thousand years of music that they're missing out on. So a little bit sad. But really the thing is, is that they don't know how to listen to that kind of music. I mean, they never have. I mean, if you never listen to a classical piece of music, there's no way you could enjoy it. No, I'm you don't confused. have the skills. I'm thinking you just, I just hear it. That's probably why part of the difference is I just hear it without really listening to it, right? No, yeah, but you have to listen to it. And I find, you know, with anything, the more you know about it, the easier it is to listen to it. So say you're going to listen to a piece of Bach. And Bach was writing in the 1600s. He had tons of music. A lot of it was religious. So if you go into that, maybe... With that attitude, think of the 1600s. Think of what was going on there. People were very scientific then, scientifically minded. It was kind of this enlightenment. His music is really mathematical. And so if you know that and you're thinking about that as you listen to it, suddenly you're appreciating it more. But it doesn't even have to be that technical. For me, a lot of things is you just don't even know what instruments to listen to. For me, it's brass. I always listen for the brass. My dad's a trombone professor. And so I just like every single time I listen to a piece, that's what I pinpoint. It's like, oh, there's the brass line. I get really excited about it, but you can carry that on. So, for, and another thing is, the more you listen to it, the more you understand um, contextual references. So, musicians reference each other all the time. It's this really high form of respect, actually. For example, there's a piece um, that Mozart wrote called uh, Regina Celli, and it has sections of the Hallelujah chorus all throughout. Like, seems a little random, but he's just saying, "Yeah, I love that piece." 
You know, it's kind of like this shout out, and everyone loves it. He was sort of like mixing tunes before it yeah, was popular. Exactly. You know, no, he was really sampling. Was. Like this he was doing a little like sample from Messiah. You know, like, oh, yeah. it's great. But if you didn't know what the, I mean, it would just seem really weird that all of a sudden he's breaking from his own tradition of music and inserting this random thing. It, it's even better in jazz, though, um, because they. Those jazz musicians, they do it all the time. Ella Fitzgerald was famous. She would, like, steal other people's solos. She would do... She does killer Louis Armstrong. That was always my favorite, listening to her as a kid. She, all of a sudden, she's, like, singing as Louis Armstrong. It's great. One of her best solos is that way. Um, anyway, so that's interesting. And another thing is um, you kind of... You have to listen to it a lot. Like, it's just quantity. You do have to listen to it a lot. There's a piece I love by um, Stravinsky, and it's in a ballet called Petrushka. And at the beginning of this ballet, the opening scene is that they're all coming to a fair. And so the beginning scene is setting that, that there's this huge fair that's going on in, in Russia, and everyone is coming together. And at one point in this piece, and that there, it goes through a lot in this beginning scene, is that there is there are two completely different musical themes going on. There's one in one key playing one melody, and there's one in a different key playing a different melody, which, if you know anything about music, that doesn't really make sense. Like, it just seems totally bizarre. But um, So it can be really jarring to listen to, but as you listen to it more, you realize it sounds like the fair, because you, if you go to a fair, in one ear you're listening to some street performer, in the other ear you're listening to carnival music. On the right. It all comes down to knowing how to listen. Julie, do you have a favorite kind of music you like to listen to? Oh, man, all of it. Okay, all of it. Bryce, yeah. do, you have a, do you have a favorite kind of music genre that uh, we need to learn something about? Uh, Hungarian wedding music. Oh, Hungarian <laughs> wedding music. Is that what they're going to play at your wedding, Bryce? <laughs> you know, I really hope not. Um, I hope not. We'll see what happens, though. Robbie, any kind of uh, any kind of music style you like oh, to listen to? Oh, the 80s and more. I love the 80s. See, and if you can appreciate you throw yourself back into that time frame, you can appreciate it even more. Like Metallica, headbanger music. No, I'm not into that. Genesis. Oh, Genesis. I love Genesis. It all Phil comes down Collins. to listening. I was just oh, listening oh, to him yesterday. It oh. all comes down. That's the second Phil Collins reference we've had. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. I hope you're a better listener for having listened to the Matt Townsend Show today.